Welcome to the radio ministry of Cedar Grove United Methodist Church. May God fill you and transform you through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now for some music and then Pastor Brian Bully. Hey, please stand up. Join us here. Come now, it's time to worship.
Isaiah 54 through 9. The Sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. The Sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I have not been rebellious. I have not turned away. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pull my beard. I try not hide my face from mocking and spitting because the sovereign Lord helps me. I will not be disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like flint and I know I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let me confront him. It is the sovereign Lord who helps me, who will, condemn, who will condemn me. They will all wear out like garments. The moths will eat them up. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Our gospel reading this morning is from the gospel of Luke, the 19th chapter. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to, to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany, at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Say, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Sound the trumpets. Send forth the soldiers. Roll the tanks. You know, the modern idea of kingship is very much a celebration of military might. One, our, our world celebrates the arrival of a king with much traditional pageantry and show of the power of the army. Of course, our kings today don't usually call themselves kings, but use the more politically popular president, chairman, prime minister, or in some countries, general. We think about the May Day parades, where thousands of soldiers with hundreds of tanks and missiles roll past the Kremlin walls in Moscow. We think of the same parades in Tiananmen Square in Beijing, 
And sometimes we even think about the Inauguration Day parades in Washington, D.C., where many troops remind us of the power of the office being celebrated. Things haven't changed much over the centuries. When a Roman general or would-be emperor returned to Rome, his troops and chariots and cavalry marched through the city to remind everyone who the power of the army was behind. Even before that, <coughs> the petty kings of small city-states, they kept a special guard to walk with them when they needed to travel around the city. It seems, I guess, that one of the perks that people in power like is the show of the military that they command. And in the old days, instead of riding in an armored limousine, the kings and the czars and the emperors would ride near the head of the parade on a powerful stallion, showing how strong the king was personally and how he could control even a powerful beast. For kings and czars and emperors and presidents and chairmen are supported by the people and the army. Why? Because they supposedly will fight the battles of the nation for the people, putting themselves in danger while the people stay at home. That's why a tall, powerful man named Saul was chosen to be Israel's first king, because the people wanted a king to fight their battles for them. Of course, over the years and the centuries, kings grew smarter, and they hired soldiers to fight the battles while they stayed in a safe bunker somewhere, just as President Putin stays somewhere in an underground mountain bunker while his generals are shot and killed in Ukraine, along with tens of thousands of young Russian men. But at the time that Jesus lived, the idea of leading from the rear was far in the future. From the days of Moses, a legend had developed among the Jewish nation. As the centuries went by, the legend grew. The legend and prophecy was that in the future, God would appoint a great military leader, the Messiah, who would restore the military greatness of Israel. Once again, just like under King David and King Solomon, Israel would control its own destiny, never again being subject to Romans or Egyptians or Assyrians or Greeks or Arabs. Under the Messiah, God's armies would go forth and defeat all other armies. The country would once again become wealthy because they would collect tribute from all the nearby countries. Tariffs would be collected on all the trade goods that had to pass through the country. And taxes then could be lowered on the people who lived in the country. The Messiah would first kick out the hated Romans and King Herod, who was the foreign king who ruled much of the land. And then the Messiah would restore the country with a wise God-led rule. The Messiah would be a king, but a king who followed the commands and laws given by God. Even today, even in this country, we still want this. Even in America and in many other countries, especially in Russia, people want a Messiah. So many people want a leader who will fight the people's battles for them. Have you noticed how Putin likes to show off his personal muscles? So many people buy in to the lie that the king or the president or the chairman will fight the battles for them, that they forget it's actually a bunch of soldiers, most of whom are from ordinary families, that actually do the fighting. People still want 
a Messiah, to take control of the borders and the nations beyond our borders. So many people want other countries to give us goods and wealth because we have a strong leader. So many people around the world are frustrated that their standard of living is difficult, and most of these people believe that somehow, some way, with the right king, the right president, the right chairman, that person will quickly solve all of the very complicated problems of economics and of society and will enter a golden age if we can just find the right Messiah, the man who is strong enough, wise enough, and a great military leader. And so when the Messiah came to Jerusalem, one fine Sunday in the spring of the year 33, at first people were excited. Rumors have been flying for several weeks. A man that many people knew, Lazarus of Bethany, had been brought back from the dead. Hundreds of people witnessed it. Surely a man who could raise the dead would be the Messiah, right? Could you imagine what would happen on a battlefield if every evening all the dead on our side were raised and went back to fight again the next day? And Jesus could not only raise people from the dead... But he could heal people of blindness and deafness and fix limbs that hadn't worked since birth. And his talks were so very wise. He didn't love money, but he loved people. He was a man of the people, mingling with all sorts of people in the crowds. And most importantly, he always won for the people in debates, ripping the elites and the wealthy with words and knowing Holy Scripture much better than the, the people he debated did. And so that day, when, a crowd, when the crowd of followers moved on from Bethany and walked toward the city, up and over the Mount of Olives, people moved into the city telling people, He's coming. The Messiah is coming to Jerusalem. And the city was buzzing with the news. But his followers were wondering, especially Simon the Zealot, who most hated the Romans, where would they find a big, powerful stallion on which he could ride triumphantly into the city? And where would they find a large sword that he could wave at the Romans and begin the revolution? How was this ragtag band of ordinary people going to kick the Romans out? Jesus called over two of his disciples. He told them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. And so they ran ahead, and everything happened just that way. The colt was a donkey's colt, not a huge white stallion. They brought the little donkey to Jesus, threw their cloaks on it, and put Jesus on it. Can you imagine the little donkey? He's never been ridden, yet here are cloaks thrown over him. And a man has climbed onto his back. But he behaved. He walked down the hill with his burden. And he did not buck or jump or cause any trouble at all. Somehow the donkey knew that he was being given a great honor. People spread their cloaks on the road and carefully the little donkey stepped down the hill road with a cheering crowd on either side. He was being very careful because you know those cloaks are going to make the ground hard to walk on. And those 
that noise from the crowd uh, must have bothered him, but he must have understood that the man on his back was gentle and would not allow him to come to any harm. And so the little donkey began to hold his head up higher. The crowd began to loudly praise God. They told of the raising of Lazarus. They told of the healing of the blind beggar. They told of the family members made whole. They told of people who had been freed from demonic possession. They told of all the miracles they'd seen. And the little donkey continued to behave, putting one foot carefully down after the next, slowly walking down the hill despite all the noise and the shouting. And the people began to chant from Psalm 118, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And the people who chanted, they fully expected that Jesus would take over that day, or at least in a few days, fighting their battles against the Romans and the wealthy, the corrupt leaders of the government, for their joy was mostly based on the idea that Jesus was the Messiah. Which was true, but their understanding of what the Messiah's plan was, well, that was flawed. They thought Jesus would be a great military leader. But his choice to ride on a donkey's colt made mockery of that idea, yet they couldn't see that. They thought Jesus would be a great political leader, but his humbleness in choosing the donkey's colt meant that he wasn't really a politician looking for the power that comes from leading people into a city. They thought Jesus would destroy their enemies, but his teachings earlier clearly stated that he did not come to destroy, but instead came to transform his enemies into willing followers. He had no sword, no spear, no shield in his hand. He did not choose to fight, but instead he chose to die. And the little donkey colt continued to proudly walk with his light burden down the hill, knowing that his burden was light and the hand on his head was gentle. Would you like to have been this little donkey, or would you like to be this little donkey? You can. Just do what Jesus asks. He's told us that his burden is light and his yoke is easy. As long as you follow his commands, he'll take care of you. Sometimes I felt like this donkey colt. One day I was minding my own business, then the next I was on my way to start carrying Jesus as a burden. But I found that carrying Jesus isn't much of a burden at all. In fact, it's an honor. And so I proudly walk with Jesus in front of all sorts of people, people who make lots of noise, who chant, who misunderstand the sort of king that Jesus is. For there are still people today who want Jesus to fight their battles for them, to destroy their enemies, to ride into the halls of power and remove those in power from their positions. But Jesus was not about the temporary change that comes from powerfully changing a society through force. Even in one as corrupt and evil as the Roman Empire, always remember that no matter how bad things are with us today, living in the Roman Empire was much worse. Unlike most of his followers, Jesus understands that societies do not cause problems, but instead societies reflect the hearts of the people in those societies. 
And so Jesus chose to change individual persons' hearts, freeing them from the fear of death so they could treat each other better. And then when enough people, enough people lost their fears, when enough people loved their neighbors, when enough people chose to follow Jesus as their Lord and King, then the society would change, even without the visible presence of Jesus, just the spiritual presence of Jesus in all those people's hearts. And so it took 200 years, but the people of Rome finally chose to follow a man who followed the cross. Over the next decades and centuries, the society changed for the better. And then over the next thousand years, the society of Europe changed for the better as more and more people chose to personally follow Jesus, losing their fear of death and loving their neighbors. Then it took another 500 years for the wave of personal change to spread to the Americas, to Africa, to Australia, to the Philippines, to Korea, even into China and India where it is changing hearts today. And today we see societies changing everywhere. Not because the Messiah rode into town on a huge white stallion with his sword swinging, but because the Messiah chose to die for each of us, to give us the gift of eternal life, to remove the fear of death, to allow us to love our neighbors, and to teach us to forgive our enemies and show them the love of the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. And so that day outside Jerusalem, the people who did not understand the Messiah's plan chanted and sang just as many still do today. Despite the noise, the little donkey coat proudly walked with his light burden down the hill, knowing that he was in no danger at all as long as he followed the commands of the God-man riding on his back. The noise didn't bother the little donkey at all. But the noise got to another group of people. The mention of a king caused some of the Pharisees in the crowd to wince. Worried about the Romans and not believing that this man Jesus was indeed the promised Messiah. Lost in their fears, they were concerned about blasphemy. They were concerned about keeping the rules about people who were letting their exuberance about Jesus go too far. And they shouted out, Jesus, rebuke your disciples. And from the back of the little donkey, the humble king who was not riding on a huge stallion, the God-man who controlled the little donkey who had not been ridden before, the prince of the universe who had created everything that had been created and could command tens of thousands of angels, replied back to the Pharisees, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the very stones will cry out. For when the word of God through whom everything that was made, was made, when he enters into his kingdom, the entire universe can respond and will respond if necessary. Jesus understood that day that the difficult work was still to be done, and much of it still to be done today. He understood that the crowd misunderstood his plan. He knew that the complete victory would take centuries. But even so... Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the God-man, the Son of God and Son of Man, he rode his chosen mighty steed, a little donkey's coat, through the gates of Jerusalem as the city named Jerusalem, the peace of the Jews, 
welcomed her king, the king of kings, to the joyful noise of the chanting of the crowds. Don't you wish you were part of the crowd? Hosanna! Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Hosanna! And on Friday, the same crowd with mostly the same people chanted, Crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him.
Grove United Methodist Church and Pastor Brian Boley would like to thank you for listening to last week's pre-recorded sermon. Join us live this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and on Facebook. We are located on Route 47, a mile and a half east off I-77, just across from WVU Parkersburg campus. Donations may be mailed to Cedar Grove UMC, 168 Old Turnpike Road, Parkersburg, West Virginia, 26104. Or you can text the word GIVE to 1304-244-1903 or visit our website, cedargroveunitedmethodist.org and click on the GIVE tab. This will bring up a form where you can determine how much you would like to give. Thank you and God bless you in your life.